you end up in this position where you take a step back and you look at all the extra steps that you've created along the way. And now you've got this Byzantine pile of cooked spaghetti mess of how everything's connected and, and integrated with each other. If you just step back and diagram the goddamn thing out, you're going to find the places to optimize this. Hey there, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and I will be both your host and bartender today. I'm catching up with Justin Schmidt, VP of Marketing at Capacity. Always love catching up with Justin. He is quite the entertaining interview and today will not disappoint. We are talking about why your MarTech stack is jacked, folks. And it involves taking a step back and looking at your customer journey mapping and using that as the foundation to build out both your team and your MarTech stack. Justin is joining me for a drink. Finally, I don't have to drink alone. It feels so good. So mix up a cocktail, relax, and join me as I speak with Justin Schmidt, VP of Marketing at Capacity. Hey, Justin, welcome to SAS Half Full. Where are you calling from? Are you uh, in the city? Are you in St. Louis? I am in St. Louis City in my sunroom turned office. I am coming in hot from a workout, but I always stay true to the process. So I'm having a uh, vodka and lemonade. So this will be fun. Are you joining me for a drink? I certainly am. I am drinking a banana julep out of a, I don't have a, like a, copper cup or whatever. So I've got a porcelain beer stein from a sailing tournament my dad did in the 70s. I froze it, did the whole thing. But um, not, yeah, not drinking out of tin or copper today. I'm drinking, I guess, tin for a julep. I'm drinking out of a, a ceramic cup. I like it. I had quite a few guests this year who leave me drinking alone. And it's fine. I will do it. I'm no stranger to it, but it feels good to have someone stick to the process. But it's a respectable hour. It's two o'clock. A lot of times I'll have these at like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. It's like, it's a little early, but this is a very respectable hour for a cocktail. Five o'clock somewhere. Absolutely. Well, guys, Justin is VP of Marketing at Capacity. And today we are going to be talking about a couple things. Customer journey map and its significance in working through your MarTech stack. Want to dive into that, but before we do, Justin, can you just give us the speed dating version on what is Capacity? Capacity is a support automation platform that is a combination of tools to allow business leaders to build whatever they need to automate support functions and other business processes. So Everything from a virtual assistant to deflect questions to a workflow automation and process automation engine to automate backend stuff. Justin, what was your journey into B2B SaaS and when did you know marketing was your thing? So I actually didn't start in SaaS. I started in e-commerce and then moved into publishing. And at the publishing gig, I, I led all marketing, user acquisition, and content strategy. So... There's a lot of marketing in that, but it wasn't what you would call traditional marketing. That being said, we took a very scientific and marketing engineering focused lens to all of that. And when David, our CEO, left the old company and, and started what became Capacity, 
he reached out to me and to see if I was interested in joining him on the journey. And I looking at what he was doing and the opportunity and what I think I could contribute. Publishing and media is one of those businesses that I think everybody that gets into it wants to get out at some point. And <laughs> I actually made the jump. So from a SaaS perspective, I've only been doing SaaS marketing for a few years, but marketing in general and building teams and all that for 15 or 20 or whatever it is. Well, we have the pleasure of calling Capacity a client at Blast Media and working with Justin. There are many things that his brain can dive into and things about which he is passionate. However, we had to boil down what is the thing, the one thing we're going to talk about today. And it involves journey mapping and MarTech stacks. These are certainly terms that our listeners are familiar with, but you wanted to really talk about the sometimes or often overlooked relationship between the two. So unpack this for us. In general, I think that one of the biggest blockers to success in marketing orgs and marketing functions is that good marketers get way too bent out of shape about their tech stack and the operational lift that they burden themselves with based on what they're building around themselves. And I was reading a report from Blissfully. They do like SaaS management software. And they have this big state of SaaS spending report that they do every year. And it was really interesting kind of looking at that in that you know marketing accounts for roughly 20% of an enterprise's SaaS expenditures. Other than DevOps, that's the highest single percentage spend of any single category. And when you think about it, marketers uh, are especially driven by this need to experiment, to try new things, to get, you get like the growth hacking mindset. You want to take a little detour from your normal plan to try some new channel or technique or whatever it is. And to do that, next thing you know, you're buying a, a micro SaaS subscription. So that'd be like a, like a Zapier. Next thing you know, you've got five different tools that can email a prospect. You've got four different tools that could post to Facebook if you wanted them to. And you've got a revenue lifecycle stages project you want to switch from. And you just get buried in tech stack. You get buried in, in, in the marketing operations piece of it. And I've, every now and then you get to having been in the, the, the field for 20 years or whatever it is, you start thinking about like, what's, what's one of these hills that I'm going to die on in terms of stump speeches and, and just point of views. And I've landed on this idea that I think a lot of marketing teams today are buying technology for an immediate need rather than mapping their MarTech operations to the customer journey that they're trying to usher through and really thinking about not only the customer journey, but what's the job design and team design I can build to facilitate that customer journey? And what tools do I actually need to manage this? And then thinking about it holistically versus just sort of scrambling and picking stuff up as it as the need sort of arises. So our listeners, are, they're all going to be B2B SaaS marketers. We have some CMOs, some at large companies, some at small companies. There are definitely some sitting here saying, well, Justin, my MarTech stack's already fucked. I have, it's overloaded. I actually don't even know what I'm spending money on. 
And then you have others who are in the early stages saying, well, I'm, I'm just now starting to, to build that out, build my team, build my technology. So for the sake of this conversation, do we want to talk about what you can do in, in this scenario if you're looking at your stack and you're like, uh, we need to change? Or is this really more for how do we reset or how do you start from scratch? How do we want to look at this? I think if you combine those two thoughts into one, you get a good framework for, in general, how to think about this, right? So let's just abstract this to a very generic SaaS scenario, super, super generic one, where you have a inquiry, and then that turns into a lead, which then turns into a marketing qualified lead, which then turns into some sort of sales qualified or sales accepted. And so you go from this like lead to qualified lead to opportunity to customer or nurture and, and, and so on and so forth. And if, if you imagine that is just sort of a left to right flow, much like it appear in a, in a Salesforce object ribbon or whatever, certain tools and certain techniques fit certain stages of those. And whether the company is large with a massive budget or a scrappy startup trying to bend the laws of physics to their will, like we are here at Capacity, I think the exercise is still the same. And that is just, what are you trying to accomplish at each of those stages? And then you just sort of look at it and map it out and then go shopping according to those tools. And to your point on CMOs, looking and say, my stack is fucked. I think part of that and at least this has been my experience, because I, I fell victim to this myself, is you go to one of these conferences or something. And I remember sitting in a breakout session or whatever, and a big, big, big software company who I will leave nameless showed a slide in the deck of theirs on like what their marketing tech stack was. And I was just thinking, man, they've got an ABM platform and a sending platform and a email, and they've got SMS and they're got all these analytics packages and so on and so forth. Wow, we really need to get into, and I saw, oh, we really need to, I need an easier way for my team to build landing pages. So next thing you know, I've got a subscription to one of those landing page builders. We got this subscription to a landing page, but perfectly great tool, it's fine. But like their integration to Marketo's kind of trash. And now I've got to manage that. And meanwhile, the marketing ops team is like, Justin, Marketo has landing pages. I'm like, yeah, but this is so pretty. And it, 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 and then the next thing you know, like that's another thing we have to account for because the very brass tacks getting a lead from this system to that system it requires these extra steps. And you end up in this position where you take a step back and you look at all the extra steps that you've created along the way. And now you've got this Byzantine pile of cooked spaghetti mess of how everything's connected and, and integrated with each other. If you just step back and diagram the goddamn thing out, you're, you're going to find the places to optimize this. So you're mapping this thing out. You're talking about whether you call it journey mapping, user journey mapping, customer journey map, whatever it is. That's what we're talking about, creating a visual story of your customer's interaction with your brand, essentially viewing your business from your customer's eyes versus your own. Yes. True or not true, most SaaS marketers or marketing leaders have done this. Yes? Yes, I, I think they absolutely have. I think they absolutely have. The difference is, is you have to think about the operational ramifications of that journey, right? So super specific example here. When a, a prospect sees a 
they're browsing their favorite industry publishing site and they see a little unit or a widget or a, a story headline for a webinar that you're going to be doing with that publisher. They register for that webinar. Now, that lead is going to have to get sent from that partner to you. That lead's going to have to, that, or that the data rather might have to be massaged. You might have your naming conventions, abbreviated versus full name states or whatever program stage you, you use if, it's, if you're using Marketo. And if you don't consider that, then you're doing your ops team and then therefore yourself a disservice by not thinking through the larger picture of how is my operation going to fit this customer journey. I think a lot of CMOs, this is maybe a hot take here. Well, if this was a tweet, maybe I get ratioed, but like, I think a lot of CMOs get done with the journey mapping part just from the customer. Cause that's the sort of like, you know, the sexy part of marketing or whatever, pat themselves on the back and like move on to the next thing. And, you know, just sort of tell their, their operations team, eh, you'll figure it out. We will, but <laughs> this would be a lot easier if we thought through this in, in, in the beginning. Yes. Most marketing orgs, whether big or small, have done this exercise and gone through the customer journey mapping. However, they're definitely not then looking at it and saying, okay, how do we A, build a team and structure roles that are going to help every stage along this journey and then invest in the technology that's also going to support this and make it all efficient. It's more of this exercise. It's a pretty visual and it gets put on the shelf and everyone says, yeah, good job, but it's not being used as really this foundational cornerstone piece around to build everything else. You just made something really sharp in my mind on this and that if you have your customer journey map at each stage, you should be able to say, these are the strategies to engage people at this stage. These are the tactics we're going to use to attract and engage people at this, this stage. These are the roles that are going to be responsible for that. And these are the tools that they're going to use. And this is how we're going to measure success. And you think of like all of that in each of those. And imagine like arranging the post-it notes on the on the whiteboard or or the you know whatever visual you want to do to, to manage that, you just get a better idea of where do I really need to be spending money and where do I really need to be creating work for myself and my team versus what, what we don't have to. So let's do a, let's do a hypothetical. Let's say we you have a updated relevant customer journey map. And listeners are saying, yep, yep, I have that. We have that thing. What should be the next step? If, if we're going to take inventory of our MarTech stack based on our customer journey map, what is that first step? Who needs to be in that room? What does that conversation look like? I think you have to have your marketing operations people in there. Like you just have to. You have to have, if there's any front end development or the people responsible for the website and getting any of this pixels installed and, and, and configured properly. They have to be there. And then from that point, if you have content marketing people or uh, demand generation people, you know, they should be in there. It should be a pretty much everybody on the team, I think, or at least every constituent. And just everyone needs to understand their place and their domain within that journey. If you don't have one of those constituents, you're going to miss something. And I think that's also, we live in a day and age where 
you can make an argument that half the meetings you have probably shouldn't exist in the first place, but something like this, which you're not going to do often, right? This is worth doing. And it's, it's worth pulling the hair and getting technical and splitting atoms on where one tool ends and another starts and where one team hands off to another and, and how all that's measured and what's the source of truth. Like th- this is a valuable conversation to have. Where should marketers be looking for that source of truth? Is there a single source of truth? Is that something that they need to develop and figure out? What are your thoughts? So capacity is a fairly, I would say we're a fairly sales driven culture. So I'm going to really, I'm going to speak for ourselves here. And, and, and I say sales driven in that like the platform that we bring to market is pretty powerful and it, it can do quite a few things. And it's, you know, I think we share the same problem. I shouldn't say problem opportunity that someone like a Salesforce does in that you can really do a lot with the platform. Therefore, there's a consultant kind of vibe that, that happens with sales, a longer sales cycle, higher ACV, that kind of deal. So in our world, Salesforce is the, the ultimate source of truth. I think in general, CRM is a good place. If you're going to have a source of truth, it should be in CRM. I have seen more product-driven SaaS companies have their own, like their own data manages that a little bit better. But I do think one thing you have to do is limit your sources of truth to as, as few as possible. And in a traditional sense, that would be like CRM and then your marketing automation platform. All the prior to qualified lead parts of your funnel, but ultimately, like we're all in this business to go out and deploy a dollar and return some portion of that dollar as closed one sold customers. And Salesforce tends to be the place where most of that lives in most organizations. We use Salesforce as a source of truth, ultimately, right? I would imagine we're not unique in that. But what what you don't want to have is someone saying, oh, well, Salesforce says this, Marketo says that. I downloaded this report out of, I'm going to pick on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and it shows these associated conversions, but you know, we don't really have it tied back to the the Munchkin code in Marketo. So your answer to how many leads did we generate last month is, well, according to Salesforce, this, according to Marketo, that, according to LinkedIn. But I feel like that happens a lot. And I almost equate it to it's okay if your scale that you use to weigh yourself is five pounds too heavy or five pounds too light because it will be consistently so as long as you use the same scale. You'll be able to see pattern changes so it's it's not that it is that it's 100% accurate but that it's inaccurately consistent but you can at least see the changes over time. So pick a single source of truth even if you're not convinced it is 100%, that's okay. You have talked a bit about or mentioned the marketing ops role. For those that are listening that are really more in that growth stage, when is the right time to hire a marketing ops professional to your team? This is giving me another hot take. I strongly feel that marketing ops and specifically a good marketing ops person and specifically maybe a more experienced person than you would have initially thought to get should be one of the first hires of your marketing team. It is a hot take. It is a hot take. And 
given the great dispersion to quote Scott Galloway, that's, that's occurred in the sort of post COVID era, you can find really good marketing ops talent all over the place. The benefit you get from having a center of excellence inside your organization that really understands the difference between how Salesforce treats leads and contacts versus how Marketo treats a person record and the the nuance and intricacies of, of linking a Salesforce campaign with a Marketo program or HubSpot, if, if that's your flavor, how all that works is going to save you a lot of headache in the long run because you can't, you can't manage what you can't measure. And SaaS, more so than a lot of other businesses, is a very specific and very, I would say, well-cultivated set of metrics that guide just the business operating principles. And you can't manage any of that stuff if that data is all fucked up. So a good MOPS team solves a lot of those problems. And here at Capacity, one of my biggest regrets is not really investing in that function earlier. And I think that having now lived through what it's like to have a good center of excellence there is really valuable. I mean, we went so far as to combine the sales ops and marketing ops teams into one revenue operations group that reports into me. And like, we've got this down now where we know exactly where everything's coming from, what programs we're responsible for lifting a lead from one score to another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my hot take is hire that early, hire more than you might think you need for it. And ideally that person is going to help you along the journey of what the stack ends up looking like. I think that's great advice. I, I would imagine that a marketing ops hire would not be one of the first hires a scaling company would consider making when, when they're building out their marketing team. At least that's not what I would think. I would have imagined that that would come later, but you heard it here. Justin is saying, prioritize that, make that one of your first hires. So we've, we've talked about a lot. We've covered some ground. If you boil it down, what's the one thing that you want SaaS marketing leaders to take away from this conversation? So an old boss of mine once introduced me to a phrase that has stuck with me for a very long time. And it's a quote from Ronald Reagan. But this particular quote, I think is, is, it's just a great, I don't know, axiom is the right word to which you can just sort of manage your entire business by. And that is trust, but verify. So if you ask for a report and the data looks good, run that report yourself or have the person who produced it for you ask them like, is there any way this could be wrong? Is there any way this could be misrepresented? And that exercise of trusting but verifying is going to yield, you're going to unturn some stones that are going to prove valuable that you wouldn't have done otherwise if you didn't go down that path. And I think ultimately, for at least for our journey here, capacity in mind, just as a, as a professional, that sort of healthy skepticism and that, that desire to make sure that what you're reading is gospel really, really helps unlock a lot of optimizations to make in the process, you know, businesses, people and processes, right. And like, 
if you've got a process gummed up somewhere, you can really unlock a lot of value for yourself if you figure out how to what that process is and then how to mitigate that blockage. Justin, is there anything that we didn't cover today that you want to make sure we tackle? I could ramble on for this stuff about this stuff for hours. But one thing that that I also think is really important for business leaders and marketing leaders to consider too, think about your user experience in your personal life versus your user experience in your work life when it comes to like the digital aspects of living, right? So let's let's talk about home. Whether you use Roku, Fire TV, Google TV, Apple TV, or even like WebOS or Tizen from one of the TV manufacturers, like you've got this fairly easy to use home screen. You can connect all these different apps and services to it. Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, et cetera, have all done a really good job of some better than others. But for the most part, it's fairly easy to find what you want to watch. The iPhone is like just the most like integrated and well thought out user. But there's this very unified experience. It's very easy to sort of understand what it is you need to do. And then think about when you go to work and your HRIS has one way of doing things. The average mid-market company, right? So you have 101 to 1,000 employees is how they define that, uses 185 apps, while an enterprise company, it's 1,000 employees more, uses 288. It's absurd. And like, look, that's a lot of apps, right? So I say this to say that as a leader, as a person in charge of marketing, one of the things that I feel is the, you know, the sword of Damocles that hangs over my head on making sure this team is, is well ran and efficient is to make sure that their sort of digital UX is as seamless and as pain-free as possible. And that if they switch apps, there's a specific MO behind doing so and that we're doing a good job of keeping our reporting centralized and we're doing a good job of utilizing integrations properly such that a team member can do their best work. And that's something that I think in general, what we're going to see in SaaS in the next several years is, and you're already starting to see it, right, is better bundling within single platforms. HubSpot's the ultimate example of this, right? They, they start as a CRM, then you got the marketing automation, then they got a customer support module. They just recently did their operational thing. And like Salesforce is another example. They buy Slack, right? They buy Tableau to bring in data analytics and, and sort of team engagement under one, under one platform. So I think you're going to start to see more of this coalescence around a single user experience and a single sort of like place to go for employees and a centralized starting point for a lot of work. And, you know, we're doing our best at capacity as a marketing team to build our tools such that people know, go to Salesforce for these reports because it's a source of truth, unless it's this, an email open rate kind of deal. Then that, of course, that's in Marketo. And I think that's something that a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking through as they just stack on all these apps when you get to 288 apps, it just blows my mind 288 288 apps in an enterprise company and there are certain employees that are probably touching 240 of those like that's just absurd it's so bad that you have to get a password manager 
like LastPass or something, which then becomes the 289th app just to manage all the other ones. Yeah, it's insane. In sort of our pre-show notes, you had equated it to like buying the shit in the checkout lane at Target, where you clearly have (laughs) bought what you need. You bought what you need already. And then you're standing there and you just look to your right and there is a landing page builder. And you're like, well, shit. I feel like that woman just that, that woman just grabbed a landing page builder. I need a landing page builder. And you throw a landing page builder into your cart. And to your point, you haven't actually vetted. Do you really need it? Do you already own something that could satisfy that need? Or are you adding more tools in there? So the PSA here is that uh, marketing technology should not be bought as an impulse buy due to FOMO or because all the cool kids are doing it or because it's trending somewhere or peer companies are using it verify and vet and make sure that it is actually something that will benefit you when you lived. You fell victim to that. Okay, Justin, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing a drink with me. As we close out every episode, I ask if you have a favorite toast to send us out. There are two that come to mind. And one of them, I'm going to name drop my two, two of my best friends in the world, Matt and Micah. Matt would always say champagne for my real friends and pain for my sham friends, <laughs> which I thought was always so silly. I might have had that back. It might have been like pain for my sham friends and champagne for my real friends, but in, the, in either event. And then Michael once said to me, may the best of the past be the worst of the future. It's interesting that, you know, we should bring back toasting as a more commonly occurring thing. It's like you do it at weddings, right? You do it maybe to consummate some big business relationship or something. But like when you're out with just your friends or family or whatever, I I feel like toasting his, it needs to make a comeback. I would be down with that. I would, because right now it's pretty much just a a boring cheers or bottoms up scenario. But we're ending this by drinking to Matt and Micah. So cheers. Cheers, Lindsay. May the best of the past be the worst of the future. Thanks so much to Justin for joining me today on SAS Half Full. Feeling like that episode might have earned us another E rating for explicit, but we shall see. Justin was kind enough to share a drink with me. He was drinking the banana julep, which sounds horrible to me, but apparently it tasted wonderful. If you'd like to order your own cocktail kit, we can do that for you. We're going to help get a cocktail kit to your door. Go to shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full and get 10 bucks off your first box of cocktail shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full. Thanks so much for joining guys. Always appreciate the listen until next time. Bottoms up.